Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther on three principles, how loving the Lord helps us to obey in times of crises, and how we trust who we love, and how trusting God keeps us from sinning against God. Now, you can download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to download this message. You can also download it on iTunes. We've just got a few days left before the end of the year, and we want to encourage you to give your support to the Friendship with God radio program. It not only keeps this Bible teaching radio program on the air, but it also helps with Jewish evangelism and reaching the Jew first with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. We reach a million and a half lost Jewish people here with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. We want to encourage you to give your support to not only a radio ministry, but an evangelical outreach ministry, Israel Restoration Ministries. We give a matching donation. So for every dollar you give to this radio ministry, we match it. And 100% of it's tax deductible, 100% of it goes towards Jewish evangelism, and 100% of it goes to keeping this radio program on the air, and 0% of it goes towards administration costs. All of it, your dollar, goes 100% towards this radio program, Jewish evangelism, and it's 100% tax deductible. It's a great ministry to support. We want to encourage you to support us these last few days of the year. We need your support. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Again, this is money that's going to be invested in eternity, getting the gospel out to others, as well as getting the gospel out through the airwaves on the Friendship with God radio program. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program. Now, Tom Cantor wants to also support you and reaching your lost Jewish friend or someone that's Jewish around you that you know, maybe a family member, coworker, neighbor, business owner, doctor, lawyer, somebody you know that's Jewish and needs to be reached with the gospel. And Tom Cantor wants to support you by offering you his testimony, his life story on DVD. Millions and millions and millions of copies have gone out around the world in different languages as well as in English. And we've got this copy available for you to reach your lost Jewish friend. It's free. Tom Cantor wants to support you in reaching the Jew first, the person that you know that's around you, with the gospel. We'll also give you his testimony in a written book. You can get that today as well by calling 1-800-247-3051. It's free. If you'd like to make a donation, though, to support the ministry, we'll take that. But it is free to you if you're going to reach your lost Jewish friend. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program from the Book of Esther. And there was a day when the Lord Jesus Christ was asked... What's the greatest commandment? A commandment in which all the other commandments hang on this one commandment. I want to turn to that. It's in Matthew 22. And he answered it. And when he said in Matthew 22, verse 36, he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest commandment. It's the one that's quote, he's quoting from the Shema. The Jewish creed in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So, do you know why it's the greatest commandment? Because of the song we just sang where it said, we obey by love's strong cord. I wonder if anybody saw that. 
in the song we sang. We obey because of love's strong cord. You will obey the commandments because of love. That's why the word command is there in verse 6 in the context of love. Daily, we, you and I, we are faced with personal crises of obedience. We come to a crisis of obedience. And the crisis is, we've got to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. And if we do, then we keep the wall of the fortress strong. And we meet that crisis successfully. Loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. It's the greatest commandment because it will enable us to face the crisis of obedience. It puts the edge, this puts the edge of the personality on the commandments of God. He said in Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, he said indeed, and keep my covenant, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. When we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, we go through the transformation of seeing the commandments of God, not just on two tablets of cold stone, but we see them as the voice of God, as the words that proceedeth from the mouth of God. That's the transformation that makes a difference between how we're going to meet the crisis of obedience. You know, this crisis of obedience made all the difference for Joseph in Genesis 39 when, I read it to you, Genesis 39, 7 through 9, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, like a fisherman. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master, what if not what is with me in the house and hath committed all that is my hand? There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That was Joseph's personal crisis of obedience. He was in the prime of his youth. He was a young, unmarried, red-blooded man with sex hormones racing through his blood. And here was Madame Beautiful. And she looked good, and she smelled good, and she was seductive, and she was every day alone with him, presenting himself to Joseph like the fruit that was presented to Eve with the invitation, take it, it's pleasant to the eyes, and it's to be desired, from Genesis 3. And Joseph was far from the eyes of anyone who would know. And that bed was so secluded, and it was the perfect storm. And Joseph was daily a personal crisis of obedience there. And what made the difference for Joseph? The last words of Genesis 39.9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Beyond just wronging my master, it's wrong for my master, which it was. Beyond just failing in my responsibility to be trusted, which it would have been, it was a personal offense against the God he loved with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind. And that was the difference. So principle one, loving the Lord with all the heart, soul, and mind makes the difference in the personal crisis of obedience. It's the wall. Why does loving the Lord make the difference? Because if Psalm 511 says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. And then it says, let them also that love thy name rejoice in thee. Principle two, we trust who we love. We trust who we love. Trusting God keeps us from sinning against God. We have an enemy, Satan, and he is the greatest ability that he has is one word, deception. He is powerful in the area of deception. It says in first, Second Thessalonians 2.10, with all deceivableness 
in unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. You might want to turn to it. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. It talks about deceivableness. Those that are perishing, they didn't receive the love of the truth so that they could be saved. He has a tremendous ability to trick, a tremendous ability to make people believe a lie. And there are, this verse tells us that Satan's goal is to make people turn away from receiving the love of the truth. You get the picture? It's like God is over here, and he's wanting to give her, but I want to give you a gift. I have a special gift. It's called the love of the truth. Will you take this gift? And Satan makes people believe a lie against God where they just look at that and they say, oh, God, yuck. And they turn away and they don't receive the love of the truth and they perish. And they don't get saved as a result because he makes them turn away by believing a lie. Now, how is Satan doing that? Satan is doing that by deceiving people as to who God is, who he really is, by making people believe God is really a bad person. God is really someone you need to avoid. He's a really bad person that you need to run from. He's a really bad person you need to hate. There's a really bad person that you will never, you should never love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Because Satan defames God. That's what he does. And he gets someone to believe something that is defaming about God. Because he doesn't want him to love God. He doesn't want him to take the, receive the love of the truth. They can be saved. We see this. If you like to turn in Matthew 25, here's an account of a really good man who gave to his servants different amounts of money, he's called talents, and asked them to use it to make money. And the first two men went out and made good profits with the money that they were given. And their joy was just to go back on the day of reckoning and say, look what I did for you. You gave me this. You're so good. You gave me this. Look what I did. I really love you. And I'm so glad to give you this. Okay? But the last man did not obey his master. He had a crisis of obedience. And he failed, and let's see why, in Matthew 25, 24. And he which had received the one talent came and said, I knew thee, very important words, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent. Drop down to 26. Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Drop down to verse 30. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Satan got this person to believe that the master was a hard man. That wasn't true. That the master was a thief, taking where he had not planted. And because he did that, this person looked at his master and said, Yuck! And he turned away from it because he believed the lie. He believed the lie that was not true about God. And he said, I don't love him. I don't trust him. I won't obey him. That's the sequence because of this. Now, look at Genesis 3, verses 5 and 6. This is exactly what Satan's strategy was with Eve. For God doth know, he says in verse 5, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one's wise, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat. Eve started off. She had a wall of admiration for God. She could say, I admire God. I love God. I believe everything good about God. And she loved the Lord with all of her heart, with all her soul, and all of her mind. She admired God. But Satan knew he could not get her to sin until she stopped loving God, stopped trusting God, then he could get her. So he had to defame God. And he comes with the lie. And he says, God knows 
that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open. Eve Eve, you'll be much better off if you eat this fruit. And God knows that. See, God is lying to you. God is holding you down. God is keeping you in darkness, Eve. You, you can't love a person who lies. You can't put love a person who holds you down, can you, Eve? And Eve bought it. And she believed the lie. And the wall came down. And in her crisis of obedience, she failed. Because Satan had succeeded with all deceivableness in getting Eve to believe the lie that defamed the character of God. And when she believed that, she was a goner. I'm going to read some verses for you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Revelation 22, 17. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. John 4, 14. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, everyone who labors and is heavy laden. Who's not like that? Everyone, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Luke 16, 32. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Mark 9, 43-44. Hell, the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not. Acts 2.21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 Timothy 2.3-4. God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye, as in ye all, repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he said as he wept, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. We know what all those verses are saying on the surface. They're saying the Lord Jesus Christ so loved every person in the world that he wants every person in the world, to, whosoever, to be saved and wants no one to perish. He's warning everyone about hell, the place of fire, torment, nonstop suffering. He says, except you repent, except, except, only, only. Except you repent, you shall always likewise perish. He's pleading, he's begging, he's weeping over every one of them. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered. The only problem was, you would not. He died for every person on earth. He's willing, he's willing to save everyone, but the choice is 100% up to them. All they have to do is come to him for life. All they have to do is receive him for life. All they have to do is believe him for life. It's 100% up to everyone. And all they have to do is call on his name. And if that's the accurate picture, we admire him. We love him. We love him with all of our soul, with all of our mind. If he's telling the truth, then we trust him as a truth teller. And our admiration and our love and our trust for him keeps us in the crisis of obedience. But what if it's not really the accurate picture? What about if God really has a secret list? A list called the 
unconditionally elected? What if God alone just put that list together with no consideration of whether or not a person decided to come to him or not? What about if he said, whosoever will, but he didn't really mean that because he knew it's really not about whosoever will, it's really about whosoever's on the secret list. What if that's the case? What about if the Lord Jesus Christ was pleading and weeping over Jerusalem for everyone to come to him and be saved, but he really didn't mean that because he really knew the only ones that could come were, had to be on the secret list. What about if God has a secret injection called irresistible grace? And what about people who are, what about if people really are totally depraved? That the only way that they can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved is if they get that secret injection of the irresistible grace. And what about if God controls who gets the secret injection and God alone? And what about if he only gives that injection to those that are on his secret list? And what about if the Lord Jesus Christ said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish, but he really didn't mean that because he really knew that except they're on the limited secret list and get the limited secret injection of irresistible grace, that they'll perish. And what about if God said and did all those things and they really weren't true? And Abraham talked to a rich man in hell. And what if you could talk to your mother and your father and your family in hell and torments and you had to say to them, the reason you're there is because you weren't on God's secret list and you didn't get God's secret injection. And if all that's true, which it's not, could you admire that God? Could you love that God? Could you trust that God when you saw him saying one thing and meaning something else? Who lies and invites all people to be saved when he knows they can't unless they're on the secret list? That's the great deception that's sweeping through the church today. It's eroding the people of God. It's eroding their admiration of God. It's eroding their love of God, their trust of God. And whether you call it fatalism or Calvinism, it is to be repudiated, not because it's a difference of opinion, we have different opinion who people speak in tongues, fall on the floor, and laugh hysterically, and it doesn't impact the character of God. We have different opinion with people who think the rapture is going to come before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, and it doesn't impact the character of God. We have many differences of opinions with the people of God. Which day to worship, what to eat, and so forth. It doesn't impact the character of God. But this impacts the character of God. Because this makes him not admirable. This makes him not lovely. This makes him not want to be trusted. And that's why it has to be repudiated. And there was a time when the disciples were so excited and they came to the Lord Jesus Christ, almost like a Disneyland outing in Matthew 24, and they said they came to show him the buildings of the temple. They were so magnificent. They took decades to build. And he said, look at this and look at this and look at this. And he just poured water on them. He said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And they were in shock. What are you saying? And they understood he was talking about the end. So they said, oh, okay, okay, okay. Then just tell us two things. They just tell us when this is going to happen and how we can know what the sign's going to be. And then he answered. It says he answered and said it to them, take heed that no man deceive you. And I'm sure they walked around and said, there he goes again. Why can't he give a straight answer? We asked, asked him when and how, and he gives us take heed that no man deceives you. That was the answer. That was the best answer. Because what he was saying is that there's going to come such a deception that it's going to threaten the people of God. It's going to threaten you. And it's going to be a crisis 
for your crisis of obedience because it's going to threaten your love of God. It's going to threaten the admiration that you have for God because it's going to be some, some deception that's coming along and saying, oh, look at him there crying. Why is he crying? There's a secret list. There's a secret injection, don't you know? And when you believe that, inwardly, you say, what choice do I have? He's God, I guess I just got to accept it. It's not true. And when the song this morning was 10,000 reasons to bless his name, We may say, and Mordecai could possibly say the same thing, and we could say the same thing. I may not understand every verse in the Bible that uses the word election and predestination, maybe Mordecai could say, but I understand one thing. Uh, That one, that God, I'm loving with him with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. And if there's any doctrine that comes up that tells me he's not a good person, he's not true, he's telling a lie, he's not fair what he's doing, if any of that comes up, he said, I may not understand it, but I reject it. And so Mordecai didn't bow. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, to love you with all of our heart, to admire you, to worship you, because you are so worthy of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you spoke about fatalistic Calvinism and how some falsely believe that people are predestined and elected to go to heaven or hell with no free will choice, a very unbiblical doctrine. Now, on the flip side of that, are many who try to do good works to save their own souls. What are some of the examples of people today who are working to save their own soul? Oh, there are so many. It's the whole emphasis of, I feel the need inside of me and I must improve myself. It's the whole course of self-improvement. I feel the distress inside, so I'm going to go for yoga to make me a better person. Or there's some sort of hidden things in my back of my mind and I'm going to get better by letting somebody hypnotize me. Or I'm going to go to this therapist who's going to improve me. Or I'm going to go to learn more. I'm going to get involved in education so I'll be better. Or I'm going to delve into a realm of spiritism to to help to improve myself. Now, some of these things, such example, for example, education, there's nothing wrong with anything in and of themselves, but the question is motive. What is the reason? And if the reason is, as we said, in order to improve ourselves so that we can save it, that's wrong. And the Bible has an answer for this. God said in Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So what he's saying here is that the first evil is to walk away from God. And the second evil is then to spend all of the effort trying to find help that only God can give in what God calls, he says, these pursuits, which are vain pursuits, or what God calls hewing out or digging out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Because he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, the Lord Jesus Christ says, for all of the problems in life, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need repair, and that's a great word, repair. And in Psalm 51.10, the word repair is translated here, renew, but it's really the word repair. And so he says in here, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew or repair a right spirit within me. That's the way 
to find salvation is to come to God and to say, God, I don't have a clean heart. My heart is very dirty, but you can create in me a clean heart. And oh God, what I have destroyed, you can repair and that repair that right spirit within me. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, again, we're coming to the close of the year end, and we want to encourage you to give a contribution to this radio program and our Jewish outreach ministry that reaches over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year with the gospel, as well as many Gentiles. Now, to encourage you to do that, we want to offer Tom Cantor's book, The Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, a great book from Tom Cantor, 84 pages, 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll give that to you today for a donation of $20 or more to our ministry. You can call us and receive that book and make a donation of $20 or more. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to donate online. Now, we also want to support you in reaching your lost Jewish friends around you with the gospel. Millions of copies of Tom Cantor's life story on DVD and in booklet form have gone out around the world in many different languages. Millions and millions and millions of copies. And we want to put a copy in your hands to give to your lost Jewish friend. Many have been saved and reached with the gospel by watching Tom Cantor's DVD and also by reading his life story in a booklet form. We want to give that to you free if you call us today, one 800 It's free. If you want to make a donation to the ministry to support us, that's great. But the gift is free. We want you to reach your lost Jewish friend. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, to fill out the online form. Thanks for listening.